This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Kristen Hughes. The Red House Mystery by A. A. Milne. Chapter 5. Mr. Gillingham Chooses a New Profession. As Cayley went over to the bell, Antony got up and moved to the door. "'Well, you won't want me, I suppose, Inspector,' he said. "'No, thank you, Mr. Gillingham. You'll be about, of course.' "'Oh, yes.' The inspector hesitated. "'I think, Mr. Cayley, it would be better if I saw the servants alone. You know what they are. The more people about, the more they get alarmed. I expect I can get at the truth better by myself.' "'Oh, quite so. In fact, I was going to ask you to excuse me. I feel rather responsible towards these guests of ours. Although Mr. Gillingham very kindly—' He smiled at Antony, who was waiting at the door, and left his sentence unfinished. "'Ah, that reminds me,' said the inspector. "'Didn't you say that one of your guests—Mr. Beverley, was it?—a friend of Mr. Gillingham's was staying on? Yes, would you like to see him?' "'Afterwards, if I may. "'I'll warn him. "'I shall be up in my room if you want me. "'I have a room upstairs where I work. "'Any of the servants will show you. "'Ah, Stevens, Inspector Birch would like to ask you a few questions.' "'Yes, sir,' said Audrey primly, but inwardly fluctuating. "'The housekeeper's room had heard something of the news by this time, "'and Audrey had had a busy time explaining to other members of the staff "'exactly what he had said.' and what she had said. The details were not quite established yet, but this much at least was certain, that Mr. Mark's brother had shot himself and spirited Mr. Mark away, and that Audrey had seen at once that he was that sort of man when she opened the door to him. She had passed the remark to Mrs. Stevens, and Mrs. Stevens, if you remember Audrey, had always said that people didn't go away to Australia except for very good reasons. Elsie agreed with both of them, but she had a contribution of her own to make. She had actually heard Mr. Mark in the office threatening his brother. "'You mean Mr. Robert?' said the second parlour-maid. She had been having a little nap in her room, but she had heard the bang. In fact, it had woken her up. Just like something going off it was. "'It was Mr. Mark's voice,' said Elsie firmly. "'Pleading for mercy?' said an eager-eyed kitchen-maid hopefully from the door, and was hurried out again by the others, wishing that she had not given her presence away. But it was hard to listen in silence when she knew so well from her novelettes just what happened on these occasions. "'I shall have to give that girl a piece of my mind,' said Mrs. Stevens. "'Well, Elsie?' "'He said. I heard him say it with my own ears. It's my turn now,' he said, triumphant-like. "'Well, if you think that's a threat, dear, you're very peculiar, I must say.' But Audrey remembered Elsie's words when she was in front of Inspector Birch. She gave her own evidence with the readiness of one who had already repeated it several times, and was examined and cross-examined by the inspector with considerable skill. The temptation to say, "'Never mind about what you said to him,' was strong, but he resisted it, knowing that in this way— he would discover best what he said to her. By this time, 
both his words and the looks he gave her were getting their full value from Audrey. But the general meaning of them seemed to be well established. "'Then you didn't see Mr. Mark at all?' "'No, sir. He must have come in before and gone up to his room. Or come in by the front door, likely enough, while I was going out the back.' "'Yes. Well, I think that's all I want to know. Thank you very much. Now, what about the other servants?' "'Elsie heard the master and Mr. Robert talking together,' said Audrey eagerly. "'He was saying, Mr. Mark, I mean.' "'Ah. Well, I think Elsie had better tell me that herself. Who is Elsie, by the way?' "'One of the housemaids. Shall I send her to you, sir?' "'Please.' Elsie was not sorry to get the message. It interrupted a few remarks from Mrs. Stevens about Elsie's conduct that afternoon, which were, Elsie thought, much better interrupted. In Mrs. Stevens' opinion, any crime committed that afternoon in the office was as nothing to the double crime committed by the unhappy Elsie. For Elsie realized too late that she would have done better to have said nothing about her presence in the hall that afternoon. She was bad at concealing the truth, and Mrs. Stevens was good at discovering it. Elsie knew perfectly well that she had no business to come down the front stairs, and it was no excuse to say that she happened to come out of Miss Norris's room just at the head of the stairs, and didn't think it would matter, as there was nobody in the hall. And what was she doing anyhow in Miss Norris's room at that time? Returning a magazine? Lent by Miss Norris, might she ask? Well, not exactly lent. Really, Elsie! And this in a respectable house! In vain for poor Elsie to plead that a story by her favourite author was advertised on the cover— with a picture of the villain falling over the cliff. "'That's where you'll go to, my girl, if you aren't careful,' said Mrs. Stevens firmly. But, of course, there was no need to confess all these crimes to Inspector Birch. All that interested him was that she was passing through the hall, and heard voices in the office. "'And stopped to listen?' "'Certainly not,' said Elsie with great dignity feeling that nobody really understood her. I was just passing through the hall, just as you might have been yourself, and not supposing they was talking secrets, didn't think to stop my ears, as no doubt I ought to have done. She sniffed slightly. "'Come, come,' said the inspector soothingly. "'I didn't mean to suggest.' "'Everyone is very unkind to me,' said Elsie between sniffs. "'And there's that poor man lying dead there, and sorry they'd have been, if it had been me, to have spoken to me as they've done this day. Nonsense! We're going to be very proud of you. I shouldn't be surprised if your evidence were of very great importance. Now then, what was it you heard? Try to remember the exact words. Something about working in a passage, thought Elsie. Yes, but who said it? Mr. Robert. How do you know it was Mr. Robert? Had you heard his voice before? I don't take it upon myself to say that I had had any acquaintance with Mr. Robert, but seeing that it wasn't Mr. Mark, nor yet Mr. Cayley, nor any other of the gentlemen, and Miss Stevens had shown Mr. Robert into the office not five minutes before. Quite so, said the inspector hurriedly, Mr. Robert undoubtedly. Working in a passage? That was what it sounded like, sir. Hmm. "'Working a passage over? Could that have been it?' "'That's right, sir,' said Elsie eagerly. "'He'd worked his passage over, 
"'Well?' "'And then Mr. Mark said loudly, sort of triumphant-like, "'It's my turn now. You wait.' "'Triumphantly?' "'As much as to say his chance had come.' "'And that's all you heard?' "'That's all, sir. Not standing there listening, but just passing through the hall, as it might be any time.' "'Yes. Well, that's really very important, Elsie. Thank you.' Elsie gave him a smile and returned eagerly to the kitchen. She was ready for Mrs. Stevens or anybody now. Meanwhile, Antony had been exploring a little on his own. There was a point which was puzzling him. He went through the hall to the front of the house and stood at the open door, looking out onto the drive. He and Cayley had run round the house to the left. Surely it would have been quicker to have run round to the right. The front door was not in the middle of the house. It was to the end. Undoubtedly they went the longest way round. But perhaps there was something in the way, if one went to the right. A wall, say. He strolled off in that direction, followed a path round the house, and came in sight of the office windows. Quite simple, and about half the distance of the other way. He went on a little farther and came to a door, just beyond the broken-in windows. It opened easily and he found himself in a passage. At the end of the passage was another door. He opened it, and found himself in the hall again. "'And of course, that's the quickest way of the three, he said to himself. "'Through the hall and out at the back, turn to the left and there you are. Instead of which, we ran the longest way round the house. Why? Was it to give Mark more time in which to escape?' Only, in that case, why run? Also, how did Cayley know then that it was Mark who was trying to escape? If he had guessed—well, not guessed, but been afraid that one had shot the other, it was much more likely that Robert had shot Mark. Indeed, he had admitted that this was what he thought. The first thing he had said when he turned the body over was, "'Thank God I was afraid it was Mark.' But why should he want to give Robert time in which to get away? And again, why run, if he did want to give him time? Antony went out of the house again to the lawns at the back, and sat down on a bench in view of the office windows. "'Now, then,' he said, "'let's go through Cayley's mind carefully and see what we get.' Cayley had been in the hall when Robert was shown into the office. The servant goes off to look for Mark, and Cayley goes on with his book. Mark comes down the stairs, warns Cayley to stand by in case he is wanted, and goes to meet his brother. What does Cayley expect? Possibly that he won't be wanted at all. Possibly that his advice may be wanted in the matter, say, of paying Robert's debts, or getting him a passage back to Australia. Possibly that his physical assistance may be wanted to get an obstreperous Robert out of the house. Well, he sits there for a moment, and then he goes into the library. Why not? He is still within reach if wanted. Suddenly he hears a pistol shot. A pistol shot is the last noise you expect to hear in a country house. Very natural, then, that for the moment he would hardly realize what it was. He listens, and hears nothing more. Perhaps it wasn't a pistol shot after all. 
After a moment or two he goes to the library door again. The profound silence makes him uneasy now. Was it a pistol shot? Absurd. Still, no harm in going into the office on some excuse. Just to reassure himself. So he tries the door and finds it locked. What are his emotions now? Alarm? Uncertainty? Something is happening. Incredible though it seems, it must have been a pistol shot. He is banging at the door and calling out to Mark, and there is no answer. Alarm, yes. But alarm for whose safety? Mark's, obviously. Robert is a stranger. Mark is an intimate friend. Robert has written a letter that morning, the letter of a man in a dangerous temper. Robert is the tough customer, Mark the highly civilized gentleman. If there has been a quarrel, it is Robert who has shot Mark. He bangs at the door again. Of course, to Antony, coming suddenly upon this scene, Cayley's conduct had seemed rather absurd. But then, just for the moment, Cayley had lost his head. Anybody else might have done the same. But as soon as Antony suggested trying the windows, Cayley saw that that was the obvious thing to do. So he leads the way to the windows, the longest way. Why? To give the murderer time to escape? If he had thought then that Mark was the murderer, perhaps yes. But he thinks that Robert is the murderer. If he is not hiding anything, he must think so. Indeed, he says so, when he sees the body. I was afraid it was Mark, he says, when he finds that it is Robert who was killed. No reason then for wishing to gain time. On the contrary, every instinct would urge him to get into the room as quickly as possible and seize the wicked Robert. Yet he goes the longest way round. Why? And then, why run? That's the question, said Antony to himself, as he filled his pipe. And bless me if I know the answer. It may be, of course, that Cayley is just a coward. He was in no hurry to get close to Robert's revolver, and yet wanted me to think that he was bursting with eagerness. That would explain it. But then, that makes Cayley out a coward. Is he? At any rate, he pushed his face up against the window bravely enough. No, I want a better answer than that. He sat there, with his unlit pipe in his hand, thinking. There were one or two other things in the back of his brain, waiting to be taken out and looked at. For the moment he left them undisturbed. They would come back to him later when he wanted them. He laughed suddenly and lit his pipe. I was wanting a new profession, he thought, and now I've found it. Antony Gillingham, our own private sleuth-hound. I shall begin to-day. Whatever Antony Gillingham's other qualifications for his new profession, he had at any rate a brain which worked clearly and quickly, and this clear brain of his had already told him that he was the one person in the house at that moment who was unhandicapped in the search for truth. The inspector had arrived in it to find a man dead and a man missing. It was extremely probable, no doubt, that the missing man had shot the dead man. 
but it was more than extremely probable. It was almost certain that the inspector would start with the idea that this extremely probable solution was the one true solution, and that in consequence he would be less disposed to consider without prejudice any other solution. As regards all the rest of them—Cayley, the guests, the servants—they also were prejudiced, in favour of Mark, or possibly, for all he knew, against Mark, in favour of or against each other. They had formed some previous opinion, from what had been said that morning, of the sort of man Robert was. No one of them could consider the matter with an unbiased mind. But Antony could. He knew nothing about Mark. He knew nothing about Robert. He had seen the dead man before he was told who the dead man was. He knew that a tragedy had happened before he knew that anybody was missing. Those first impressions, which are so vitally important, had been received solely on the merits of the case. They were founded on the evidence of his senses, not on the evidence of his emotions or of other people's senses. He was in a much better position for getting at the truth than was the inspector. It is possible that in thinking this, Antony was doing Inspector Birch a slight injustice. Birch was certainly prepared to believe that Mark had shot his brother. Robert had been shown into the office, witness Audrey. Mark had gone in to Robert, witness Cayley. Mark and Robert had been heard talking, witness Elsie. There was a shot, witness everybody. The room had been entered, and Robert's body had been found, witness Cayley and Gillingham. And Mark was missing. Obviously, then, Mark had killed his brother, accidentally, as Cayley believed, or deliberately, as Elsie's evidence seemed to suggest. There was no point in looking for a difficult solution to a problem, when the easy solution had no flaw in it. But at the same time, Birch would have preferred the difficult solution, simply because there was more credit attached to it. A sensational arrest of somebody in the house would have given him more pleasure than a commonplace pursuit of Mark Ablett cross-country. Mark must be found guilty or not guilty, but there were other possibilities. It would have interested Antony to know that just at the time when he was feeling rather superior to the prejudiced inspector, the inspector himself was letting his mind dwell lovingly upon the possibilities in connection with Mr. Gillingham. Was it only a coincidence that Mr. Gillingham had turned up just when he did, and Mr. Beverley's curious answer when he asked for some account of his friend, an assistant in a tobacconist's, a waiter, an odd man, Mr. Gillingham, evidently. It might be as well to keep an eye on him. End of chapter 5